This is a podcast about sound, how it impacts your life and the people who are creating the sound of the future. Welcome to Powered by Audio, supported by EPOS. Based on pioneering audio technology, EPOS strives to unleash human potential by perfecting audio experiences. Learn more at eposaudio.com. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. On this episode, we look into our crystal balls to explore the future of audio. Later, we'll talk with someone who helps research and develop new audio technologies. But first, the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus is credited with saying the only thing constant in life is change. And if he thought there was rapid change in 500 BC, imagine what he'd think today. He'd probably have to hire our first guest just to keep up. Jared Weiner is Executive Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer of the Future Hunters, one of the world's leading futurist consulting firms. Jared, welcome to Powered by Audio. Thank you, Randy. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Jared, we have something in common. We both grew up in New York City, one of the fastest moving places on earth where change happens every day. So I'm curious if your time in a fast-paced city like that is possibly what got you interested in the future and studying change. Well, first, let me just say, I know nothing about Heraclitus, but he was absolutely right. And whenever he said that, it it is times 1,000 today. So I appreciate the introduction. And as you mentioned, I'm also from New York. In fact, just this last year was the first time in my life I actually moved away from New York, part of one of these trends that maybe we'll talk about in the next few minutes. But when you live in a place like New York, when you live in a fast-paced environment like that, you see everything happening so rapidly that it just has an effect on you. And, and you understand this. It has an effect on you. It's deep. And, and it just makes you view the world a little bit differently. And so, so it definitely informs your thinking. I agree with you. And I also left New York City this year temporarily. I'm I'm going back, but that's definitely a trend we should talk about. But maybe we could start with the basics. Maybe you can explain to me what exactly even is a futurist consultant and like where did you figure out, you know, I'm going to study the future? That's the golden question. So I often, when even if I'm giving a presentation on a stage, the first thing I have to do is explain to people what it is that we do. What we do is we just study patterns. So we're studying technology trends, social trends, economic, political, you name it. And then our job is to basically understand kind of where those trends are moving in the future and help make people who are running big organizations, big businesses, help make them a little bit smarter and give them the perspective that maybe is outside their day-to-day that will allow them to make decisions for the next two years, five years, 10 years, And in some cases, if we're really lucky, someone will want to think as far as, you know, let's say 20 years out. But it's pattern recognition at its finest. It's what we do day to day is actually really academic. We do a ton of reading and writing. And then we just try to make people understand what the uh, challenges and opportunities in the future are going to be. All right. So as we look into the future, Jared, I mean, the question on everyone's mind is, what life will look like, you know, a few months from now, a year from now, you know, as the world goes back to air quotes, normal. What trends do you think are here to stay? And what do you think the world looks like a year from now? Yeah. So I don't think we're going back to normal as we once knew it. And I don't think that that's any big revelation, but I do think, you know, during the course of this conversation, you're going to hear me mention several terms that you will have never heard before. Because they're from the future. Yeah. Future terms, stuff that you haven't heard, but you will know very well in 10 years. We make up a lot of words in our shop, and the reason we do that is because we sometimes don't think that existing vocabulary gets at what we're seeing. We often like to look at terms out of science or physics to explain kind of how the future is moving. And I like to use the term escape velocity. And when I'm talking to leaders now, I I try to coach them on the idea that they have to achieve escape velocity to meet the future where it's going. And that basically means that you're traveling fast enough and with enough foresight that you can escape the gravitational pull of something really, really big. In this case, whatever the world looked like before the pandemic. We've been seeing something over the course of the last year plus that we call the COVID accelerator effect. And basically what that means is that while there are a lot of new things happening as a result of this pandemic, a lot of things that are happening and that are accelerating were already predictable, and we were talking about them before all of this. You know, people just have to understand that what we've went through over the last year, I don't think we're going to go through this exact thing again, 
but the likelihood of disruptive events, we're likely going to see more disruptive events like this in our lifetime, many of them. So the, the better we are at adapting to what we've seen over the last year, I think the more instructive it'll be for what we're going to see in the future. What about working, just working in general, working from home, offices, business trips? What will that look like? Yeah. So, you know, here's a term. We had this term Verflex. We've been talking about it for well over a decade. And this was the concept that the future of work, particularly knowledge work, was going to increasingly be virtual and flexible. And over the course of time, there were certain big companies that tried this and some did it well and some not so much. And, and then we have a pandemic. And ultimately, we're going to have a future characterized by what a lot of people in the industry call either fully or partially distributed work. We've always called it Verflex. And it's the idea that in the future, people are going to be judged more by their output than their input. And the future of efficiency and productivity is often going to be work that's done remotely on people's own time, on their own schedules, on their own rhythms. And so I do think that you're going to see a lot of knowledge work. I don't want to say it's going to be fully distributed. I'm not bullish that the world of the future is going to be completely remote all the time. But I do think a lot of it will be. And I think a lot of you know, companies are going to be more flexible about what they let their people do. So, Jared, as we think about the workplace of the future and the changes that will happen with more remote work and more audio-based work, what do you think are some of the new opportunities and new challenges that might arise in the workforce? Yeah, so the workplace of the future is going to probably be hybridized in some way. And we think that there is going to be some element of remote work, but I don't believe in a fully distributed future, at least when it comes to the knowledge economy. There's going to have to be this kind of new management of when do certain people go in and when do others, you know, work from home? How are we going to operate cross-functional teams where some people are on location and other people are wherever they may be? This is really what the value of audio technology is going to be. It's been a lot easier for us to adjust to this when we're all remote. But when certain people are in the office, there's going to be a little bit of an onboarding process there. So I think that there's going to have to be a little bit of a reintegration. I think the physical workplace of the future is going to probably be retrofit, be designed a little bit differently, whether it's through HVAC systems and other sort of environmental uh, measures that are taken to help optimize people's health while they're actually in an office. And ultimately, I think that it's going to be fascinating if we have this conversation in two years or three years from now to kind of chart where has the integration of audio technology and, and all of these different platforms that we're kind of touching on here today, how has that actually helped facilitate a move towards this new kind of hybridized future? I mean, this year has seen explosive growth for technology, tools, cloud software that has enabled collaboration. What do you think is here to stay and what new things do you think will come about in the future? I mean, I think that all of the kind of broad technologies you just talked about are definitely here to stay. And just like something we have not talked about during this conversation, which we've talked about at length for well over a decade, is the future of VR and AR, what some people might call mixed reality or blended reality. And one of the reasons I don't think virtual reality is where it needs to be today is because our definition of it is that virtual reality is tricking the brain that it is doing something else somewhere else in real time. And you really need a full and, and realistic representation and integration of all of the senses to be able to do that. And I think one of the reasons why audio is so big right now is because audio is one of the senses that we can, in a way, kind of replicate in the truest sense. We can, it doesn't even have to be synthesized. You know, virtual collaborative tools are going to increasingly become popular. The question is how effective are they going to be? Now, Jared, one of the things that we've learned on this season of Powered by Audio is that audio itself is having a moment. Right now, we're seeing an explosive growth of podcasting, streaming, audio, social media, smart speakers, voice search, you name it. In fact, one of our earlier guests, George the Poet from episode three, explained why he thinks this is happening. And I think we have some sound bites to share. Audio is the world that happens when you close your eyes. There are no parameters to that world. With an audio experience, you're just picking up so much more information and so much more vibrations. You know, audio is all vibration based. So those vibrations enter you and do things inside you that it's just not, it's, it's the closest thing we have to magic. So Jared, I don't expect your answer to be as poetic, though you are welcome to answer in spoken word. But why do you think that audio is having such an explosive moment? 
So while I cannot be that poetic, I totally agree. You know, and here's the thing, Randy, and this is one of the things I always like to explain to people. When we come in, we always tell them we can get as fancy as we want about talking about the future, but a lot of what happens is actually informed by the past. The world operates in broad cycles. And so what we're seeing right now, this moment around audio culturally, in many ways is a repeat of the way things used to be, but leveraging very different platforms, very different technologies. My parents' generation, they used to have party lines where they would all get together and they would talk. And, and it was relationships were around telephone calls. And in one generation, the idea of a home phone has completely disappeared. So the phone as a hub for socializing and, and whatever it has gone away. But it wasn't that long ago that audio really was the primary mode of communication. And so here we are in 2021. And we're having this resurgence of audio through all of the, the formats you mentioned, podcasting, what some are calling audio social media, all of these work productivity tools. And it's fascinating because I think the reasons this is happening are such, and I'll try to be as, as uh, concise as possible. I think audio provides intimacy. I think it provides familiarity. It allows people to communicate wherever they are, whenever they are, without having to worry about being in front of a screen. It's more about the, the content of what you're either intaking or putting out there. I think that there is a really interesting therapeutic kind of vibrational component to audio. The idea that sound in certain formats can help people's anxiety, it can help reduce stress levels, it can be used in a meditative capacity. So audio, in all of its sort of truest forms, is intimate, it is familiar, and it also has therapeutic benefits. And I do think that that is why we're seeing it become such a powerful tool. I'm smiling and nodding in agreement with so much of what you're saying. I remember for my 13th birthday begging my parents for to add a second landline to our house so that I could just sit on the phone with my friends all night. I completely agree with everything you're saying around the intimacy of audio. I've actually started leaving a lot more audio text messages for people instead of written, and it's um, it's really amazing. Now, uh, Jared, Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Do you think that audio can help create culture in our workplaces? You just spoke about how it can help with productivity. I'm curious about how it helps foster community and culture. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Peter Drucker is kind of a giant in our industry, so it's fitting that you kind of led with a quote from him. But yes, I think that ultimately the the business case for audio being used in a work setting is because of what the, the productivity gains will be. But ultimately, the future is about culture. And I think picking up on what we just talked about, the intimacy, the familiarity that's afforded by audio technology. I think we are, look, when you begged your parents for a second landline when you were a teenager, it is very rare nowadays in a personal context that someone will pick up the phone and call you. It seems almost anachronistic, but it actually makes you feel better, like almost at a cellular level. You get that phone call for your birthday and you're like, this person really loves me. And there's something intimate, familiar, and I think that sets a really nice cultural tone when it comes to audio and the way that audio is going to be used in the workspace. The thing that audio technology now can do that old audio technology really couldn't do is that you can differentiate between a very intimate conversation among two or three people, and you can also broaden it to, to be an audio kind of platform where 100 people are participating at once. So there's a lot of differentiation ability in the technology. For sure. One thing you said that I love is that businesses should have a CEO on staff. Now, we all know what a CEO is, but what is a CEO? So again, another term we kind of came up with. Yes, another term from the future. <laughs> yeah, the chief ethical executive officer. I mean, the holy grail of how do we run a company today ethically with all of the constraints and all of the, the crises. I mean, it's not easy. We came up with that term because of the fact that the workplace is going to increasingly have smart systems and artificial intelligence. And a lot of sort of observers are talking about you can only integrate that technology if you're doing so ethically. And when we bring it back to audio technology, I mean, I think that there are kind of three axes you have to really assess audio technology in the workplace on. One is the productivity aspect, which we talked about. The second is the scalability of it. So in other words, like the, the differentiation between having, you know, sort of small conversations or broad conversations. And then the third has ethical implications. It's sort of the privacy and ethical component of this, which is, 
if people are going to be doing a lot of their work in an audio context, will it be recorded? Is that going to be transparent to people who are working? How are they going to feel about it? Are they going to want those to be off the record? We deal with some of those issues ourselves in terms of how we execute things with our clients now. So the ethical integration of these technologies, just like with artificial intelligence and all these other technologies, is going to be a key component. So the CEO of the future, they may not want to call themselves a CEO, but they effectively have to be just that. It's so wild. I feel like my mind is exploding in all these different directions. I also love another prediction that you've made for the future is the merging of HR departments with the IT department. That sounds a little wild to me, but I'm here for it. What what are you thinking? (laughs) So the reason I, I like this conversation with you, Randy, is because you're up for all of this stuff. You have to understand when we've been talking about this for about a decade as well. And when when we're in front of groups of executives and we bring this up, you know, you'll see eyes roll and they'll say, what is this guy possibly talking about? And the reason we, we've argued for at least more of an integration between traditional HR and IT and mid or mid-size or large companies is because at its core, human resources is just that. It's about hiring and retaining the best human resources and empowering them to, to do their jobs as, to the best of their abilities. The only way that people can get their work done to the best of their ability, to be most efficient, to be most productive, is with the use of the best technologies and vice versa. And the idea that that someone who runs human resources and someone who runs information technology would rarely, if ever, really speak to each other, except maybe in an executive meeting, it doesn't really make sense. So how do we integrate those two in a way that makes sense and have the leaders of those kinds of those two entities kind of speaking to each other more frequently? You talked about culture and the role of the CEO. I'm curious, Jared, about how we ensure a sense of community in the workplace. I fear that something's lost when people are remote and they're not having these serendipitous run-ins and encounters. I mean, so much of the real work happens between meetings. So how do you facilitate that in a world that is remote or is hybrid? It's a great question. And this is why nothing is perfect. This is one of the reasons why Even if certain people really like the push towards remote work, we always view a hybridized future as probably the optimal kind of approach. We've said for a long time that design is one of the most critical differentiators of the future, and that includes design of the physical workspace or the office. There are large cutting-edge companies out there that have actually employed architects and designers to design their offices so that people from different work groups who are stationed in other parts of the building will more frequently kind of cross each other. It's almost like electrons bouncing off each other so that they can they can run into each other, air quote, serendipitously, even though it's kind of been engineered. And they can have water cooler talk that is actually really, really productive and sort of creativity stimulating. So I do think that in the future, one of the challenges for technology is going to be how do we synthesize some of that if people are going to be doing what we're doing right now and talking from a studio or talking from home? How do we engineer that kind of serendipity? It's a really important question. It's so interesting. Now I'm sitting here thinking that I'm a mom of three young children. What are your thoughts for this next generation who has a very different relationship with technology than we did growing up and kind of speak tech as a first language? What are some of your thoughts and what can I do as a mom? So great question. I mean, this is, I think, what every parent has struggled with throughout history as things have changed, but now because change is happening so much more exponentially, I think it's nerve-wracking. You didn't realize you were also going to be a therapist, an emotional therapist to me today on this conversation too. (laughs) (laughs) Half of what we do inadvertently, I should have gone for different certification. I'm telling you, when you talk generationally, it's really interesting. Like I said, we have our own terms and we call Gen Z or what others refer to as Gen Z, we refer to them as cybrids, C-Y-B-R-I-D-S. Going beyond the kind of cliche term of digital natives, these are people starting with that generation and now every subsequent generation who are born with into a world where they have a symbiotic relationship with the digital technology around them. Why this is so important is it, is it affects the way they learn, the way they work, the way they socialize, the way they do pretty much everything, the way they shop. And it's important from a biological perspective because the majority of the connections in our brain form roughly during the first three years of life. So when you see a one-year-old or a two-year-old who doesn't yet fully know how to speak, read, or write, manipulating a tablet 
more efficiently and quickly than we can because its brain has been coached to live in a world of swipe right, swipe left, magnify, shrink, and iconography. It just immediately showcases the fact that the world is very, very different. And the unfortunate thing is that we tend to then try to retrofit what people call Gen Zs or what we call cybrids into our industrial era work systems, our industrial era learning systems, when in reality, we have to do the heavy lifting of re-engineering those systems to accommodate them because they are the future. So children are operating very differently. Older people tend to immediately say, oh, kids these days, what are we going to do? In many ways, they're going to be that much more highly functioning. We have to understand what their deficits are, but we also have to understand what their competencies are. And we have to you know, kind of engineer things around that. For sure. So what skills do you think I should be thinking of right now to make sure that my little cybrids learn when they grow up in order to be successful? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first of all, critical thinking is something which is very hard to come by nowadays. And that is not a condemnation of young people. It's actually a cross-generational condemnation because of the proliferation of all the technologies which dominate our day-to-day social media, everything around us there is a critical thinking vacuum. And it starts with, you know, with my boomer parents and it goes all the way down to the youngest of kids today. We're learning on the fly how to integrate information. And we say that the three luxuries of the future are going to be the three T's, which are time, truth, and trust. And people call it a, that say that we're in a post-truth world. But ultimately, the critical thinking ability to be able to intake rapid information every day and know what to pay attention to and what is truthful and use that, that's going to be the most important one. Obviously, parallel processing and multitasking is more important than ever. I always say patience. Patience is a critical one, especially in multi-generational workplaces. When you have young people who are used to doing things, particularly through technology platforms, very, very quickly, it's sort of like, how do we utilize them to reverse mentor the people who have been doing it for 30 years a certain way and teach them how to adapt to uh, you know, the changing environment. And ultimately, kids these days should learn skills that will differentiate them from technology, those value-added human skills. So when we hear about STEM, which is going to remain vital, I always like to support this notion that others have come up with of STEAM, where you add the A for arts back into STEM so that that little ingredient, that variable of human creativity and ingenuity is still part of that equation when we think about skills for the future. I could not agree more. I think if you're going to connect the world, you have to make sure it's a world worth connecting and with content worth connecting. So I I am a lover of the arts and couldn't agree more. Jared, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Final question. I'd love to get some advice for our ambitious leaders out there who want to lead companies and uh, start things in the future that are very ambitious. How should they prepare themselves for that CEO or CEO job in the future? Operating with integrity and operating ethically in an environment where that will increasingly be perceived as a plus. So being transparent, being authentic, Obviously, operating a workplace with a culture that has those values, sort of the future is about is less about sort of the transactional element of employment, and it's going to be more about what is this business doing to make the world a better place or to create a good workplace for its people. And then the key thing I will always say is this. If someone is an entrepreneur and they start a business, they always need to stay true to what the vision, the original vision of that business is. You have to be ready to scrap strategies in a moment. So if someone comes up with like a 10-year strategic plan and then they're wedded to that, but the world changes in a year, you have to be able to toss that entire strategic plan and not worry about it. But you always have to stay true to what ultimately the vision of your, of your business or your company is. What did you want to do? How did you want to change the world? You follow some of those basic kind of recipes, and I think you're kind of on the path to, to doing something good. Well, Jared, I was already excited about the future going into this conversation. Now I'm more excited than ever. It is obvious why so many present-day CEOs want to have a conversation with you. I'm delighted that I could have a conversation with you too. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Powered by Audio today. It's been an honor, Randy. I love this conversation. Thank you. And I, I like that this was a fairly optimistic conversation about the future. You don't get all that many of those these days. Powered by Audio is proudly supported by EPOS. EPOS has become the global audio partner of the Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team. World-class communication tools are vital for top performance in Formula One racing and in your business. With clear sound and innovative voice enhancement technologies, EPOS is unleashing human potential wherever success matters. Find out more at eposaudio.com. Now that Jared has told us where some of the trends are pointing, let's learn some more specifics about where audio technologies will take us. Jason Schenker is chairman of the Futurist Institute. He's a best-selling author, and you may have also read his writing in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and many other news outlets. Jason Schenker, thank you for joining us on Powered by Audio. Thank you so much, Randy. It is a real pleasure to be here today. So Jason, your work often explores global financial trends. And as we know, capital investment drives innovation. So maybe you can connect the dots for us. How does better audio lead to world economic growth? Well, I think there's a few different ways, right? So there's kind of, if we think about it at the like the macro level, that's kind of a very different thing. I think that'd be a little bit more difficult to go, how does audio drive GDP? If we think about it at the company level, I think it's going to be really important for a lot of different industries going forward as we see immersive technologies become critical parts of our entertainment lives as well as our working lives. And I think that's where we're really going to see the importance of audio. And and in that way, it will be accretive to to GDP and other things. But I think the biggest thing is that that company impact, the social impact, and in our lives in general. Absolutely. What industries do you see in your crystal ball adopting emerging audio technology first? Well, I think if we look right now at the big, big emerging trends, AR, VR, these sorts of things, the move to make entertainment more real, I think that's the biggest ROI, the biggest value add, and probably where you're going to see consumers have the highest requirements for audio, right? If we think about work uses sort of in office or communicating on Zoom or on the phone, right? That that's not as as big as if you're in a virtual reality situation, you want the audio to be absolutely perfect. And then there's sort of a third bucket, which is the data part where you're looking at companies trying to have IoT devices that are getting perfect reads in terms of the inputs. And so they're going to want to have a sound input that's as perfect as possible to help create better data. Jason, there's an old saying about computer data, garbage in, garbage out. Maybe you can get into a little bit of the role that audio plays in the development of of AI and this development. People talk a lot about big data, right? But the truth is, before you have big data, you need like good data. And so an important piece of that, we look at IoT devices going forward. We look at ways of gathering inputs. Sound's going to become more important. And if you don't have that good data coming in, you might not get anything valuable on the back end in terms of implications or values. So this is where sound's going to be really important to make sure you've got good data. You mentioned augmented reality and virtual reality. I'd love to just dive deep there for a little bit. Sure thing. Well, virtual reality is more we think about, maybe that's easier to start with, right? Where you put on the, uh, you know, you put on a headset and you are in a completely different world. That's where you're essentially disengaging from the world. The focus up until now has largely been on the visual. But as we see a greater threshold for entertainment and and more use cases, right? We think about tourism and travel. And for years, I've been talking to folks at Disney who have been thinking about, well, look, our theme parks filled with people, you know, prior to COVID, right? And, And the prices keep going up. And how do you increase access, right? And so one of the questions is, well, we look forward you know, we're probably going to have some kind of a subscription model where people in a virtual reality way go to the parks. Well, the visual is going to be something you expect, but the audio is also something that if it's not right, if it's not as immaculate as the visual, then the perception is going to fall apart. It is a virtual reality thing where they're um, they're going there, but, you know, with a, a visual interface, that's going to be somewhere where the audio really has to keep pace. 
that's exciting to me too. The fact that, you know, we could so democratize travel that way that anyone could have access to experiencing any destination or any site around the world is, is really exciting. Do you think that that same VR and AR technology could be used for sports coverage or any other trends that, that you're excited about? Yeah, I do think you're going to see more of this in sports. It's another great entertainment area, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's going to be much more immersive. So anything that ratchets that up a lever is going to be something where you're going to see demand and you're going to see the need for the visual and the audio to be just immaculate for all of that. What about all the virtual events that everyone put on this year? I know I attended, I think, hundreds of, of any kind of event virtually. Do you think those events are here to stay? And if so, what kind of technology do companies need to be investing in for this future? I think we get this mix of in-person as well as virtual. The virtual remains a way to tap into a broader market of potential participants for lots of different events, and that that remains a permanent fixture for many industries going forward, but it's no longer the only fixture the way it was in 2020. Whereas in 2019, most people weren't thinking about virtual the way they were forced to in the past year. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens as things start uh, opening up again. Jason, one of our guests back in episode two, Scott Simonelli, is using machine learning to research the effectiveness of audio for brands. Uh, so I wanted to play a little clip, and then I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. So we're ingesting every audio ad on the planet and measuring every audio ad. We're also, we partner with Audible. We're doing audiobooks, and we do podcasts, all that stuff. And so the human, this response to human voices is just a powder keg of data. It's just so rich. Make sure that you're investing in uh, high-quality sonic content. Right? It's, it's not something you can shortcut. So, Jason, what are you telling businesses about developing an audio identity, especially the businesses who are like, well, we, we don't run ads on radio. We don't do anything like that. We don't have an audio identity. You can't leave the audio behind, right? That's really a, a critical piece of that. No one wants to see the most perfect visual ad and the audio is, is just not there. It, it's something that has to go along in tandem. So even if we're not talking about just having purely audio branding, if you've got something going on with video, if you're doing anything visual, the requirements for that to be satisfactory are going to go up going forward and audio requirements are going to go with that. Whenever I'm giving a, a keynote speech, I always go out of my way to just make friends with the audio people backstage because I'm I'm always saying, you know, a speaker is only as good as their audio quality when they're on stage. So I, I completely agree with you. You could have the best content in the world and if it's out of sync or it's not great, it, it just doesn't have impact. All right, let's switch gears to talk about Alexa, Siri, all of our friends in our home now. Uh, it seems like more and more of our devices are listening to us, are responsive to our commands. We don't even have to touch the controls very often. Thank goodness I barely know how to work the remote controls in my house as they are. How do you see audio changing the way we interact with our homes and search for content? I think this is part of that IoT story, whereas we see more devices, we're going to see more interfaces that are audio only. And so in the same way, if we think about touch screens, right, when they first came out, they were on a couple of things. And yeah, they were okay sometimes. And then suddenly they just got better and better. And now everything's a touchscreen, right? To the point where I'm sure you've seen children walk up to a TV, try to change the channel, and it might not be a touchscreen. And they, they touch it, right? At some point, there's going to be children who just start talking to the refrigerator and talking to the washing machine and talking to the dishwasher, right? And, the, and they're gonna be, why doesn't this work, right? Because they'll be so accustomed to that sound interface. And that's going to become more prevalent going forward. I'm laughing here because my two-year-old definitely walked up to a can of soup and said, Alexa, play Mickey Mouse to a can of soup. And I was just like, you know what? Amazon bought Whole Foods. So probably this is only a couple of years away from happening. So you just you just keep talking to everything. I'm sure one day it'll respond to you. So uh, I, Sooner or later, it's right? Funny. Sooner or later. <laughs> We talked a little bit about virtual events. I'm interested in your thoughts on kind of the workplace of the future. I feel like every conversation that I have right now is, will we go back to offices? Will we stay remote? Will it be some hybrid in between? What do you think? 
Well, look, I mean, Randy, you and I have worked remotely, right? And that doesn't mean we're commuting to an office. It means we're commuting to somewhere by plane, right? Like Definitely, definitely resonated with that answer. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're 100 days on the road, how can you say you're not a remote worker? Like, I, I, I gave a speech in February, just before COVID. In February of 2020, it was a room full of executives that I showed them some of the data about remote work. And this was, this is before COVID. And I'm like, this is going to explode. And they're like, no, no, no. And I said, all right, how many of you here are going to go up to your hotel room and do some work? Every hand went up. I said, you're remote workers. And they were like, oh, oh yeah, huh. Yes. Like, congrats. If you, if you send an email from your phone while you're like getting coffee or somewhere, you're working remotely. <laughs> you know, that, that's just the thing, right? And sometimes people don't, don't put it together that way. They think of it as this, this other thing, not something they're actually probably already doing. I think looking forward, could we have more immersive office technologies? I, I think that's possible where you have home offices, where there are walls that are interfaces to uh, another person's home office, we could see these kinds of dynamics. In fact, those technologies have already been around for close to a decade. But I think this remote dynamic is something we're going to see almost permanent. I've worked remotely for, oh gosh, 12 years now. So for many people to continue working remotely, there's no reason why you can't. That does make things like audiovisual interactions more important. But I think we look at Maybe virtual reality becomes a, a piece of that for some working environments going forward, more immersive. Jason, before the pandemic, I was on a plane 100 days a year. I know so many other people have been also. I've heard that the one-day travel for a business meeting is probably dead. What are some of your thoughts on what business travel will look like in the future, and uh, will it be replaced by virtual meetings? I think that you're right. The days of the individual trips is probably going to be greatly diminished. And I, I know folks, I like, like yourself, I was on the road over 100 days a year before this as well. So if we look forward, conference demand could go up because, yeah, the individual day trips, yeah, not so relevant anymore. The three-week road show where you do point to point, one person per day, not so relevant anymore. But you are probably going to want to go to places where you could see all of those people at once in a short period of time. The, the conference and event business has already been rising for many years, obviously stalled during 2020. But I think we're going to see 22, 23, 24, a lot more of that. And of course, you've also got the people who are on the road, right? And I'm sure you, like I, people are like, oh, you travel so much. That's so wonderful. It's a hotel. Like, I just want to be home with, with my wife and my dog. Like, I don't, I don't really want to travel that much. Oh, yeah, 100%. And people are like, oh, my gosh, you're like, you went to Korea. That's so glamorous. And I was like, no, I was in an airport and then a hotel and a conference center. Could have been in Indianapolis. Like, didn't see anything. So, yes, I, I completely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's that's life on the road, right? Like, that's the deal. Yeah. Totally. All right, Jason, in our final moments together, as you think about investing over the next 10 years or so, what audio technologies are you very excited about that you would put your money on? So there's a few pieces here, right? So if we're thinking about the AR and VR and holograms, a lot of those are in startups. So that's I think that's a little bit further down the road. But I think AR, VR, anything related to that, we are just at the beginning. It's going to be much bigger years out. There are some fundamentals like audio and visual that will be critical elements of making those technologies hit scale and then become critical cornerstones of everything entertainment in the decade ahead. Well, I'm excited about that future. And Jason, how's this for a prediction? I believe our listeners are going to be buying books by Jason Schenker to find out more about future technologies. It was such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for sharing your perspective on Powered by Audio. My pleasure. Thank you, Randy. It's obvious that audio is going to play a big role in the future, but how is that future going to be built? We know someone who can explain how this will all unfold. Tice Merck is the Vice President of Global Product Management at EPOS, and he's here to explain what comes next. Tice, welcome to Powered by Audio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you. 
Let's start by having you tell us about your role at EPOS. You are a very busy person from what I understand. I'm heading up our product management division. We work with user insights. We work with technology insights. We work with those insights to create new concepts that can enable people to communicate better, uh, collaborate better. But it's all tools for the business professionals. Well, certainly in the world we're in right now, we need new tools and new concepts. According to our earlier guests on the show, Jason and Jared, it sounds like we can expect a mostly hybrid or blended workforce. Uh, As we think about the technology that will be needed for that, Tice, what do you think hybrid work looks and sounds like? It's absolutely clear that the the opportunity of and benefits of hybrid work is something everyone agrees on. And I think this this pandemic we are standing in the middle of and has, has been through now for more than a year, really just catapulted our work behavior five, 10 years fast forward. Enterprises, but also the employees has really seen the, the benefits of doing that. There's also a flip side of the coin, you could say, because we completed a, a global study with Ipsos recently, and it, so, it shows that 79% of the end users really see large benefits of this hybrid model, this new way of working. For example, it's more efficient, it saves costs for the enterprises, and and it's really increased autonomy or freedom to work from anywhere from the employee's side or point of view. So I think there's a lot of of benefits here. So I think the task going ahead is to find um, what is the balanced approach here for for more efficient setup. And I think you would do that going forward for sort of a heightened experience where you you are physically together for the more difficult meetings, where you co-create, where you ideate. And then there's other parts of your work life where it's just more efficient to to work from home, for example. Thais, are there any special kinds of audio tools, or is there anything that you're working on to make this new mobile work life easier for people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we our aim is basically to to develop devices that enables you to work from wherever you, you are, whether it's your home office, whether it's while you're commuting, uh, where you sit in a, at a cafe or actual workplace. It's So it's really to create devices that that can support that sort of hybrid way of working. And that means that uh, products will be more mobile, more portable. And I think what, what we are really doubling down on is to ensure clear, uh, clear speech intelligibility no matter where you are, no matter what work surroundings you are in. So here we work a lot with machine learning algorithms uh, or AI, as we also call it, where we can train our our headsets or algorithms, so we can enable our devices to know what is good audio and what is bad audio in any kind of sound environment. We have a library of 12 million sound bites from different kinds of of locations. From that, we can sort of learn the algorithm, what is a good sound here and what is a bad sound, and uh, amplify the good sound and suppress uh, the bad sound. And the reason why we do that is because we, we have pretty good insight in how does the brain make sense of sound? So with that knowledge, we can sort of tune the algorithms. So that, that so that's some of the core technology we put into the headsets going forward. Tice, there's always so many questions about having healthy lives at work. And I know for me, when I was entering the workforce, it was about having the right chair for ergonomics and posture and standing enough during the day and having healthy food. But I feel like in this hybrid workforce, what people are looking for, especially young people, now audio has to be a part of having a, a healthy life at work and, and a healthy mind. And I know you've been doing a lot of research about the impacts of bad audio and just how important audio is to our well-being and mental health at work. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the research we've done last year actually found that 95% of today's workforce admit that their concentration and efficiency at work has suffered due to audio setbacks. And that really results in, a, in, a, in a, an emotional impact for with 35% reporting feelings of frustration, irritation, and annoyance due to bad audio. But also more concerningly that we found that 25% of the end users experience stress and 15% of respondents even feel embarrassed and less confident. It's some pretty intense dynamics that we're dealing with here and uh, c- can cause a lot of frustration. I think everyone have, have, have 
experienced it uh, personally during the last uh, year with uh, in a virtual uh, setup here working from from home or in a hybrid model that uh, it was uh, yeah just poor poor audio and and that and, and now we have research that document that actually really affects your productivity but also affects your sort of mental health and well-being in the workplace so it, it's uh, audio is definitely a part of creating a good and safe uh, working environment for sure i uh the phrase you're on mute wasn't even in my vocabulary a year ago. And now I think it's 40% of what I say on a daily basis is just correcting people's audio. So I, I completely agree. And I wonder, you know, the workplace of the future, if you'll have your desk and setup, and then you'll also have your beautiful mobile audio equipment that you you take co-working or, or home. Now we keep hearing about VR and AR here on the Powered by Audio podcast. Do you think, Tice, there's an opportunity for audio to help those alternate realities seem even more real in the future? Absolutely. Um, I think especially within the enterprise space, uh, the augmented reality, like we call it super hearing, that is something we're looking at. I think within the VR space, uh, you already have games that are working in a sort of VR reality. And then I've seen uh, applications, VR applications for doctors, for example, that can actually practice with VR glasses on, practice a, a surgery, for example. I actually read about that also, that doctors are being able to perform much more complicated surgeries than ever before because they're practicing in, in VR. Do you think that uh, VR will become a regular part of the workplace? Like, we'll be going to virtual conference rooms. If we're not in a meeting, our avatars will meet. Or do you think that's like crazy science fiction? No, it's not. It's not crazy. And I think some of the innovations we will see is is these blended realities going forward. You that you will be having in a meeting. There will be people that are attending virtually, and there will be people that are in the meeting room. And how do you create a meeting experience that is inclusive for all, uh, and where you can have some of the dynamics, the dynamics that you have in a if, if, like if you met physically face to face. I think you'll see solutions in this in this industry that will have these blended uh, realities that that will be quite uh, extraordinary. It's very exciting, but I guess regardless of where we work, no matter if it's in real life or it's an augmented life, collaboration is still incredibly important, especially when people are remote. Uh, I'm curious, Tice, what developments in audio do you think we'll need for the future to connect us all together and work together even when we're all in these different spread out places? You'll need devices that can uh, can follow you wherever you are. It is a professional tool. Just looking at the, the past year here, it's, it's become an essential work tool that enables you to do your job because you're being put in all kinds of contexts, sound environments where you need to be, be able to do your job and, and your employer expects you to do your job. Our role here is to enable that. And we have technologies for that. If it's a device uh, that can enable you to have a conversation, communicate, collaborate with, with in a virtual meeting without uh, all the background noise being uh, picked up as well. And that you will have within the foreseeable future, you will have devices like ours that are connected. So that means that you can you can uh, interact with them, use, for example, using your voice. And they can are also contextually aware because they are a connected device. I think that's also opened up for some possibilities in the future where uh, with a connected intelligent device, then uh, you can just really be more productive. Actually, we just recently launched a product that uh, can transcribe a, a meeting. Oh. It acts like a speakerphone you have in a meeting, but it also then uh, transcribes the, what's being said and it can log uh, who said what. You can log action items to individual participants um, and, and so on. You can search in the meeting or minutes afterwards. And so also no one needs to do the minutes of meeting. So there's a lot of productivity gains there already. And we'll just see much more of that. You also have voice analytics, a super interesting area as well. By doing analytics on the voice, for example, it can count which words you, or it can analyze which words you're using, how many pauses you have between the words, your tone of voice, are you talking cross talk uh, across each other? So it can really give some insights into what sentiment you have, what's your agitation level, are you stressed, are you engaged, what's your mood, emotional state. So I think that's also some really interesting things there where that we can create some compelling insights on and, and create even better solutions for the user. I'm so glad that you talked about smart speakers and, and machine learning. It's something that many of our guests have pointed out that they're extremely excited about for the future. 
I'm curious if there's anything you have to do to design audio differently, if it's intended for machines to listen and understand us perfectly versus, you know, what you typically think of audio, human listening. You don't typically think of of speaking to machines in a way that they can understand. Anything that might surprise us about the product development process? Definitely the, um, the if you talk, if we talk about it as, as the machines like the, the personal assistants like Siri or uh, Alexa, uh, for sure they pick up speech in a different way than the human ear. And we need to train the algorithms to uh, also be aware of different accents uh, and reduce the noise in the, in the background and so on. So absolutely, it's a different language you could say uh, when you talk to the machines. So that we also need to sort of enable. For sure. My my husband has a South African accent and he's always very frustrated when uh, the machines don't understand him right away. So, but it, it seems like things are getting uh, much more sophisticated and savvy. Every day, basically. And then you have our kids who just kind of expect every machine now to speak to them. They're growing up as digital natives. When you look to this next generation, what role do you think audio technology will play in their lives? And how do you think it, it will need to adapt to these kids that are just growing up speaking tech as a first language? Yeah, I, th- I think it will blend together. It will be a, a blended experience now with both uh, audio and video activated at the same time. That will be the new normal. Our children now, they will be the, the future of the workforce going forward. So I think that will just be deeply entrenched in the business processes and, and how we collaborate, interact. That, that's sort of the, the full experience. That is the new normal. Absolutely. I, I have three children. I definitely see that with, with them and the way they communicate. Thais, in closing, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. So I'd love to ask this question on their behalf. If you were building a brand new workplace, completely reimagining the workforce from the ground up today, how would you do it? Where would you really invest your time and, and energy? I would develop a work policy that really catered toward a hybrid model. That will be key for, for enterprises to have that to both attract, but also retain the employees of the future. So uh, equipping your employees with the tools that enables them to work from everywhere, basically, will be absolutely key. And then it will be to create established spaces to collaborate also and to co-create. So you also need to, to have allocated space for that in, in the floor plan. Because you will go to work for an heightened experience. You'll not go to work just to sit and do emails. You go there to meet and co-create and be more uh, created. So I think that there's something on the, the fall plan, the workspace, and then invest in, in some, some premium solutions and tools in relating to audio and video, because that is how you're going to collaborate going forward. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think great audio, it's one of those things when you have it, you don't even think about it. But when you don't have great audio, it is uh, incredibly distracting. So Tice Mork, thank you for being with us on Powered by Audio and all the amazing work that you do and your team does to make our working lives and our world sound so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Speaking of audio, if you like what you heard, please give us a review and subscribe to Powered by Audio, available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Supported by EPOS, find out more at eposaudio.com.